0: Shalom. You're listening to the Bible Teaching Podcasts of Light of Menorah Ministries. This is Reverend John Ferrett. And we're presenting teaching of the Bible where we focus in on the archaeology, the geography, the history, the customs and culture, the customs and culture, the Jewish roots of our faith, and even the languages of the ancient Middle East. So you're listening to Torah Nuggets 11, and this is the sixth lesson that we're on with regards to the Lord's Prayer. And we're taking the Lord's Prayer, we're putting it into its historical context. And Jesus is teaching this prayer to his disciples, it's prior to 30 A.D., And it's not in English, and it's not in Greek, and it's not in Aramaic. Jesus is speaking in Hebrew. So as we reconnect to the historical context of those days, what we have found so far, that the phrases and the concepts that Jesus is using in what we call the Lord's Prayer, In Hebrew, Chathafila Adonai. These were very familiar to Jesus' disciples. In Hebrew, his his Talmudim. So, for instance, when Jesus says, or in the prayer it says, Our Father, when we go to Exodus 15.2 and we're reading the Song of the Sea, after God had destroyed Pharaoh's army in the sea and they cross the Red Sea, we find in Exodus 15:2 that God is the father. That's what he's called. He's the father of all Z- Israel. So too for us. Since we're grafted in to the olive tree of Israel, as Paul teaches us in Romans 11 and 12, so too for us, God is our father. So these phrases and concepts, like I said, are familiar to religious Jews of those days, and Jesus' disciples. For instance, pray that phrase, Our Father, you who are in heaven. And we talked about in the lesson that how can Jesus be in heaven when he created the heavens and the earth when we read that in Genesis. So he can't be in heaven. He can't be among the stars. He can't be among the galaxies. He's got to be someplace else. And we agree. In our day, we'd say God is beyond space. He's beyond time. He's not, But we call heaven his abode. But the fact is, is that in Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth. So our use contradicts the use back in Genesis. But when we take a look at the Hebrew word shamayim, its Strong's number is H8064, it comes from an unused Hebrew verb, meaning places above, that which is above. Yeah, God lives out, outside of space and time. He lives above. He lives in places above us, Shamaim, which has been translated into heavens. So he doesn't live in heaven, but he, he lives in the highest of the places above. Let's just take a look at this. We can go into uh, Genesis 1.20. We read, Then God said, Let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. Again, the Hebrew word there is shamayim. It doesn't mean heavens where God dwells like we think of it today. It means the places above. We all agree. The birds dwell and fly in the places above us. So we use that word shamayim probably in its correct conceptual idea not as heavens, but as places above. So the birds are in the places above. Let's go to Deuteronomy 4.19. We read, And beware not to lift up your eyes to heaven, and see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, and be drawn away and worship them and serve them, those which the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. Well, here we have, again, a place above, and a place above is where the sun and the moon and the stars and all the planets and the galaxies and so on exist. It's a different place above than where the birds are. So this is not another heaven, it's just another place above. We have to understand that concept, that this is not levels of heaven. One place above where the birds dwell, and there's another place above where the sun and moon and the planets are. Let's take a look finally at another one. We're going to take a look at Deuteronomy 10.14. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth that, and and all that is in it. This is also repeated in Psalm 68, 33, that God is in the highest, in the highest heavens. And th- this makes sense to us. This is the highest. This is the highest place above us. And yet we would definitely say that agrees with our concept today, that God lives above and beyond space and time. So it's the same thing for us. Now, as disciples, they wanted to be like their rabbi. They passionately wanted to be like their rabbi. So as we reconnect, not only do we see that these phrases and these concepts that Jesus is actually using in the Lord's Prayer are very familiar to them, but as disciples, when they ask Jesus, teach us to pray, they want to be passionate like their rabbi. You'll remember Peter. Remember that he sees Jesus walking on the water. And he asks Jesus, can I come out to you? Jesus says, come on. This is such an amazing picture of the all-consuming, all-passionate desire, fire the fire that Peter had in him, that he wanted to be like his rabbi. And he goes walking on the water. Now, I'm not going to expand on that right now. If you're interested in reading more, I have a ten page article at the website. It's linked in the description of this session. So if you go to the website, www.lightamenora.org, and again, remote, menorah is spelled M E N O R A H, and you find the description of this session, you'll find that link in there, and you can link to the article that I've entitled Walk Like the Rabbi and Pray Like the Rabbi. And you can read more in depth about that idea that when Peter's walking in the water, it seems to be related to the concept of what a disciple was in Jesus' day. So we want to pray like Jesus. Disciples want to pray like the rabbi, and he gives them his prayer. And it becomes theirs. HaTafilah Adonai, the Lord's Prayer. We can now change its name to HaTafilah Adonai. Talmudim, the prayer of the disciples. Now our next focus is on the next phrase in the Lord's prayer. We're going phrase by phrase, and in Matthew six ten, we're reading, "Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven." That's from the New American Standard. King James, I believe, is, "Thy kingdom come, thy will be done." Now, one thing I noticed in English and I really appreciate what the translators did. They took two phrases, your kingdom come, your will be done. And when we take a look at that translation, we notice that we have two independent phrases, two independent clauses. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Now this implies that these phrases could be non-related. They could be separate, meaning two separate things. But we want to ask God to do both. We want his kingdom to come, and we want his will to be done. Or these could be two phrases that are related to each other, that are connected to each other. I think of an example of, It rained this morning, and the ground was wet. So you have two phrases that are related to each other. One happens because of the other. Could it be that these are related? In other words, could it be two ways of saying the same thing? Let's go see. Now for us today, in the 21st century, how might we understand the phrase, your kingdom come? Most of us, are so disconnected from Jesus' culture. I was until I finally went to Israel back in the summer of 2000. All we have is the English and our own preconceived ideas uh, that we have been taught in uh, Bible studies and in Sunday school. But us, living in the 21st century, we're here as disciples. This prayer has become our prayer. And so for us as disciples, we want to say it daily. And there's a lot of different reasons. Certainly it's a prayer that Jesus actually taught us. It's the only prayer in the entire Bible where God teaches a prayer specifically meant for all people. All of God's people in his kingdom. Now, I think there's another reason why we would say it daily we want to tell jesus daily that we want to live as a true disciple we want to be like him we want to be like peter with such a passionate fire in our chest that we too want to walk on water so let's continue as we focus on the key phrases of haf Aronai, the lord's prayer which we now know as Hattafila Talmudim, the prayer of disciples. Now we're going to put the words again back into those days. How did the disciples 2,000 years ago understand that phrase and the concepts? So we want to reconnect to those days when those 12 follow Jesus. They hear as they heard, see as they saw. And we want to add to our understanding, we want to let His Holy Spirit, our teacher, Expand our understanding and understand and and expand our lives as true disciples of his. I went to the World Wide Web and I did a search and I wanted to take a look at what various Christian teachers teach about God's kingdom. One website that I came to and it had and, and this teacher, uh, supposedly a celebrated scholar, had no reference to the Jewish culture of Jesus' day whatsoever. And he started talking about the fact that Jesus started the kingdom. He, he presented the notion. His implication was the Jews had no idea of what the kingdom of God was. It was a brand new concept. He said it's not fully realized. And on top of that, we must wait for his return so that the kingdom finally is established so it's English and he's using the phrase thy kingdom come and so here it is Jesus is going to return he is the king of kings and so the only way the kingdom is going to happen is when the king returns interesting another website and again no reference to Jesus's day The teacher there said, the kingdom has not come yet. Very similar to that first website that uh, I was reading. However, they added something. And they said, in order for the kingdom of Jesus to come, Satan has to be defeated first. Now, this is fascinating. Because I find in the Bible, nowhere does God, Jesus, say anywhere that his kingdom will come only after Satan is defeated. I find it nowhere. It's a very interesting opinion by this teacher. I respect his opinion. However, it seems to contradict what Jesus has to say. In other words, the kingdom hasn't come yet, and it will only happen after Satan is defeated. Once Satan is defeated and Jesus returns, the kingdom is going to be established. This contradicts the very words of Jesus. We go to Matthew 12:28 we read Jesus's own words but if i cast out if, but if i cast out demons by the spirit of god then the kingdom of god has come upon you jesus is doing this by god's spirit he is casting out demons by the spirit of god and by his own words jesus says if this is true then your the kingdom of God is now it's come upon you in his very own words we don't have to wait then we go to Matthew 4:17 we read from that time Jesus began to preach and say repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand now the greek word there engidzo. its strong's number is G1448 and going to Thayer's Greek lexicon, and also studying other verses where this verb is used, we get the idea that something has come near. Uh, We get the conceptual picture that you're joining one thing to another. This really makes sense. Because in Matthew 21.1, or in Luke 7.12, in the New American Standard, we get the idea of approaching jesus is approaching jerusalem somebody is approaching a city in other words joining one thing to another you're coming to a place to join yourself to that place in luke 15:1, the sinners were coming close to him and again it's that greek word and they were coming close to him so that they can listen to him they want to join themselves in the location where jesus is So Jesus' words in Matthew 4, 17, and in other places where this Greek word is used, we're really saying, the kingdom is now, there's no waiting. The kingdom is among us. I'm a little disappointed by both of these teachers and both of these websites, where they're really lacking an understanding of the Greek and how that Greek word is used in other places in the New Testament. Another website, again, no reference to the Jewish roots uh, of our faith, no reference to Jesus' day. This teacher was saying today we experience chaos and difficulties, and there are tragedies, and there is a real need for Jesus to return. Oh, man, do I agree? I think we all agree in these days of real difficulty. This teacher went on to say that Jesus is going to come and set up his kingdom. So again, the implication is the kingdom doesn't exist now, which contradicts the words of Jesus that we just took a look at. But he said once he sets up his kingdom, then there will be peace and joy and an end of pain, an end of death and sorrow and suffering. So this teacher is implying that as long as there is death, evil, sorrow, and suffering in the world, there is no kingdom of God. And again, this likely contradicts Jesus in another verse in Luke 9.2. We read, And then he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. He act, He is telling them, his disciples, to go out and proclaim the kingdom of God. The, the Greek word there is keruso. It's Strong's number is G2784. And what's really fascinating is, When you go to Thayer's Greek lexicon, and this is what you need to really get at the meaning of Greek words, we find out that keruso, this idea of announcing the kingdom or proclaiming the kingdom, means proclaiming something that has already been done. So, in other words, when we go back to this verse, he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. In other words, the kingdom of God already exists. So once again, this teacher at this third website seems to be likely contradicting Jesus because Jesus, over and over again, especially in the Greek, understanding the Greek words not in English, is talking about a kingdom that is here now and exists. There's another website that I bumped into. It's one that uh, I happen to actually use quite quite a lot. And it's called gotquestions.org, looking for biblical answers. When I went there, they have an article on what does it mean to pray, thy kingdom come. So this was really fascinating to, be, to me. And at the website, quoting them from gotquestions.org, one component of Christ's training and prayer involves understanding that God's kingdom has not yet been wholly fulfilled on this earth. It's been fulfilled, but not completely. Thy kingdom come is not just an expectant yearning for the coming of Christ in the future, even though this longing is contained in the plea, but thy kingdom come also expresses the prayerful desire of us, his servants, to see God's kingdom broadened and increased and established in the earth now. This is really close to the Hebrew understanding of the kingdom of God in Jesus's day. We have a lot of different views. We have differing opinions, differing ideas of the kingdom of God. But now let's go back 2,000 years, even 3,000 years ago, what did they know? What did the Hebrews understand about God's kingdom and the kingdom of God? From the very start, from the exact very start, when you're reading the Song of the Sea in Exodus 15, 18, in Exodus 15, 18, we hear the phrase for the first time in the Torah, the Lord shall reign forever and ever. Well, if the Lord is reigning, reigning like a king forever and ever, this implies there's a kingdom. And this is what the Jewish people believed. In Deuteronomy ten seventeen, in English, we read God of gods, and Lord of Lords, God is the God of gods and Lord of lords. The word Lord, with a capital L, is a direct reference to God's name, Yahweh. Yud He vav He. Those are the four Hebrew letters of his name. The other word, Lord's, lowercase, is a Hebrew word meaning a king, a ruler, or a sovereign. So Yahweh is the overall king, the overall ruler of all kings and all rulers, implies his kingdom is above all kingdoms. We might even say, if we wanted to rephrase that, that he is God of gods and Yahweh is king over all. He is the power over all. He reigns over all. So, we're taking a look at the concept of the kingdom of God. It's well established in Jesus' day. For the Jewish people in Jesus' day, the kingdom of God is not a place. The kingdom of God is not related to time. It simply means in the Jewish culture of 2,000 years ago that God reigns. God is king. That's it. God was, and is, and will always be. And so, therefore, this kingdom was, is, and will always be. And there's no place for his kingdom, no castle, no territory. So when Jesus goes to teach, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, and remember that phrase, at hand, means the implication, is part of your life. It's happening now. Something has approached you and it's arrived. It's here. The Jews understand it. It's something they, they get. It's part of their lives. Matter of fact, in a previous session in this Bible study that we're doing on the Lord's Prayer, I talked about the fact that the Jewish were a praying people. There were prayers said three times a day at the temple. They were called the Amidah, the standing prayers. Another way of referring to them is the Shemoneh Ezra, the 18 blessings. In Jesus' day, there were not 18 blessings, perhaps 10 or 12, but they prayed three times a day. Let me read to you the beginning of the Shemoneh Esray the 18 blessings, or the Amidah, the standing prayers. My Lord, open my lips, that my mouth may declare your praise. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, and the God of our forefathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the great, mighty, and awesome God, and supreme God, who bestows beneficial kindnesses and creates everything, who recalls the kindnesses of the patriarchs and brings the Redeemer to their children's children for his namesake with love. Now listen to this, O king, helper, savior, and shield, blessed are you, Adonai, the shield of Abraham. You are eternally mightily, my lord. You are the resuscitator of the dead, abundantly able to save who sustains the living with kindness, resuscitates the dead with abundant mercy, supports the fallen, heals the sick, releases the confined, and maintains his fate to those who asleep in the dust. Who is like you, O Master of mighty deeds? And who is comparable to you, O King, who causes death and restores life and makes salvation sprout? So it's part of their daily prayers. Every day the Jewish people were proclaiming God is their kingdom. God is their king. And therefore God has a kingdom. On top of that, it's part of their Sabbath Bible readings. The Jewish people have taken the Torah, the first 5 books of the Bible and separated into 52 pieces and they also have aligned readings from the prophets along with their Torah portions. And it so happens that every year, or every three years, depending on whether they used an annual or a triannual cycle, on one of the Sabbaths, we might call it the Sabbath Shoftim, the Sabbath of Judges, because it's relating to the Torah portion for that Sabbath, Deuteronomy 16, Starting in verse eighteen through Deuteronomy twenty-one verse nine, and immediately God talks about that you have to establish judges, shoftim, and it just so happens that this Torah portion is for in the year twenty twenty on August twenty-second. The half Torah portion, which is the prophets, was Isaiah fifty-one twelve to fifty-two twelve. So every year they read the following. So this is Isaiah 52, verse seven, which is part of the Haftarah section for that Sabbath. In Isaiah 52, seven, we read, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. Now I find this fascinating because when we read this verse another way we can look at it is how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings the gospel who announces shalom and brings the gospel of happiness who announces yeshua yeshua jesus's name in hebrew means salvation who announces yeshua and says to zion your god reigns wow So once again, as we reconnect to Jesus' day, we see that the Jews then grasped the idea of the kingdom of God. It was something they knew well. It was something they understood. Jesus was not introducing anything foreign or strange. So for those Jews 2,000 years ago, When they hear the phrase, your kingdom come, what does it mean to them? This is seemingly so important that Jesus, in his teaching of this prayer, he includes it in the prayer that he's giving his disciples. This is a big deal. We need to go deeper. We need to try and grasp what they heard. On top of that, when we start exploring this in the New Testament, we are, are there three kingdoms? We hear about the kingdom of God. We hear about the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus talks about my kingdom. Remember, he says, my kingdom is not of this earth. This must have made sense to them then. And thus, as we study these concepts it will enrich and expand our understanding. So we're going to continue this in part two. Part two as we explore that phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See you in the next session. Shalom.